0: Yeah. Welcome to Diffuse Congruence. This is episode 14 of the American Muslim Experience. My name is Zaki Hassan, and joining me is my partner, Pervez Ahmed.
1: Good to be here, Zaki. Thank you. Uh,
0: so, so Pervez, we, we've had a very uh, a busy couple of weeks with our last show. It, it only dropped uh, two weeks ago, but in that time it's already become one of our top uh, episodes of all time.
1: That's right. I think even you know, yeah, you and I—at I, least for me personally—I I, I didn't imagine that it would—it would—it would sort of uh, just you know have that kind of a, uh, a draw among the audience. But uh, of course, very happy that it did. Uh well, it's funny. I, I, mean,
0: I, I take that as an indication that people are really responding to uh, you and me, our particular <laughs> charisma, the the mix of uh, brain and brawn. You know we're kind of we're kind of a Burns and Allen of our time, and I think people are responding to that. Um, so i no, of course it has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with our guest, who is Rabia Chaudhry, uh, and and her connection, of course, to the very very popular Serial podcast, which opened us up to an entirely new audience. That's and, right. And as I said, we're we're extremely grateful for that.
1: Right. i mean you know it's got its own sub sub reddit, reddit so i don't even know how that thing works but uh yeah it's definitely out there uh uh you and i were kind of talking about off air you know she was um uh, you know sarah kenig was on um on on Stephen colbert, colbert. this
0: week the colbert yeah. report, that's right yeah
1: yeah yeah which that show is leaving so um that's going to be yeah interesting that show
0: that show's ending and serial is ending as well however we're not going anywhere so You'll That's still right. have us, audience. So I, I actually did want to point out uh, one message that we got in response to our last episode, and and uh, this was uh, this was received uh, anonymously. Uh, this was an amazing podcast, obviously for the serial discussion, but I loved it from a compassion and understanding standpoint. The Muslim-American story is tough to really get at if you're unfamiliar. The media doesn't help at all, but it gave me such wonderful perspective and heart. And Rabia is phenomenal. So, uh, to me, I, I, I want, I'm very grateful when we receive comments like that because it tells me that we're, we are doing something right and, and we're, we're, uh, at least in, in some small way, we're making egress towards the, the goal of our show.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. That was, yeah. Uh, I, 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 I saw that post and I was very, uh, heartened by it. It was very nice feedback.
0: So, but um, we are not going to we're not going to rest on our laurels because we've got a great uh, conversation to share with everyone today as well. And um our guest for today's episode is Asif Manvi who if you are, are familiar with the Daily Show and I'm assuming many of our audience members are then you already know well who Asif Manvi is. He is their their senior Middle Eastern correspondent, the senior brown person at 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 the Daily Show. I would say now and they
1: have more than one, so we can't, you know. Yeah, he, he but he's, he's no well, longer he the seen, soul. He,
0: well, he has seniority, so that's right. Although I think Larry Wilmore might have been around longer than him. So, uh, but, but regard, and Larry Wilmore, by the way, will also be be getting his own uh, uh, Daily Show spinoff show after Colbert leaves.
1: I heard that. Is that going? Is that is he going to fill the Colbert spot?
0: Uh, yeah, it's going to be called the Nightly oh. Show,
1: and it's going to follow the uh, the like the Daily Show.
0: That's correct. Yeah.
1: Oh, very cool. Okay, very yeah, cool. Yeah. Um
0: Yeah, it was it was yeah, going to be called the the Minority Report was the original title. Oh, nice. Okay. Which would have been great, but uh, but they they went with The Nightly Show.
1: Yeah, very nice. I wonder if you had to secure the rights to Minority Report.
0: That that was I think that was part of the problem, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Um yeah, so no, it, yeah, it was great uh, uh yeah, having Osifon was uh was a real honor and um you know, it was the good folks that uh the Institute for Social Policy and Understanding, um, ISPU, uh, who is a, a think tank, a Muslim think tank based in Michigan, although they have presented policy papers um, throughout the country at various conferences and various journals. Um, very exciting organization to sort of keep you know, keep keep track of. Um, uh, I was sort of uh, engaged with the organization a little bit when I lived in Michigan, spent some time with the founders, really good group of folks there. And they are growing as an organization. So um, we're really, again, very grateful to ISPU for uh, affording us the opportunity to have this conversation with Asif, uh, who was there in Michigan to um, be the keynote at their at their uh, gala, or is it gala? Uh,
0: I think it's it's it's. I don't know. <laughs> this was know, a
1: conversation like... that you and I had over Thanksgiving. That's why I kind and
0: of. I, I don't think we've we've achieved resolution on that. So I'm not sure. <laughs> Right. It's a party, let's say. Uh but but regardless, yeah, we we did get to to chat with him. And and for those of you who who in addition to to the Daily Show, um Asif has of course acted in a variety of things. the uh, first time I really became aware of him was in Spider Man two. He was Mr. Aziz, uh which is the first time I saw him. He was also in The Last Airbender. He's been in a variety of different films. And, uh, uh, you know, he certainly got a very unique and interesting perspective, so we're, v- we're very grateful to uh, have been able to have him share his perspective with us. So let's go ahead and play our conversation.
2: So, uh, we, we've got a lot to talk about. We've, we, we definitely want to talk about No Man's Land, and you have. No you Land's have, Man. No, no Land's Man, sorry. Start again. <laughs> Start again.
3: Start again.
2: <laughs> we 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 want to talk about no land man as uh, as as our conversation continues but I think <laughs> <laughs> that's great thank you <laughs> what 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 might be helpful uh, as as uh, we we start is just to sort of get some background on your journey a little bit because I think uh, that that's a big uh, part of of the narrative that that people have of you so so uh, where did you start what do you consider the beginning of your journey
3: uh birth um is probably yes. the best place to to start with that. <laughs> um so I was born and then um it was I was born in India uh and then uh, my parents moved to the UK when I was a year old and um and then I lived in the UK till I was uh, in high school and then moved to the United States and um and then New York and you know and have been sort of now living in New York for the past, uh, 25 years or so. Uh, so that's sort of the geographic, uh, journey. But, uh, in, in terms of like, you know, what I, what I sort of talk about in the book, uh, is a lot about sort of, um, using that immigrant experience, um, as a sort of template to talk about other things and to, you know, have a humorous take on, uh, the, the, the journey of how to navigate as a, a South Asian immigrant and a Muslim, you know, somebody who's raised Muslim in, uh, in, in you know, firstly in England growing up and then, and then in, in the America and then sort of post 9-11 America.
2: Well, and, and at what point did you sort of decide that you wanted to pursue what is a very non-traditional career path, especially in, in the Indian community?
3: Uh, yeah, you know, I never, it it was a decision that was made very early in childhood and it was not a decision that I really, uh, feel like I ever made. It was, uh, it was just something that I knew that I wanted to do. It was a calling, you know, I wanted to be a performer. I wanted to act. I wanted to write. I wanted to, uh, tell stories and I wanted to, um, you know, pretend to be other people, I guess. Um, and so that really just sort of happened for me, um, at a very young age, uh, you know, um, when I was, uh, probably around 11 or 11, 12, 13 around that time. And did, I mean,
2: I, I'd love to talk, talk about sort of what you've encountered as far as dealing with tokenism and things like that, because I mean, I mean, has that changed over the years? How, how did you, uh, Sort of combat that that sense of wanting to be more than just a, a token
3: um i don't know if I uh, combated it in a very conscious way. I think what I did was I just kept working on my craft and kept working on myself and 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 I actually started to uh, to, to, to take things out of, uh, as much as you can in this business, I started to take things into my own control. So I, 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 I started to write is, is what I mean. And I started to get up on stage and do stand-up, for example, uh, which I was not very good at. But I ended up sort of attempting doing that for a while. And then and then I started writing characters inspired by my family because I was going out for these roles where I would so basically essentially be playing, you know, Um, uh, stereotypical uh, South Asian characters, cab drivers or – you know I mean I tell a story in No Lands Man uh, about how one of my first auditions that I had in New York was about – was going in for the role of a snake charmer and um, and the, the, the producers actually asked me if I knew how to snake charm. Um, and and they said, you know, this is an awkward question, but we kind of need to ha- ask everyone, like, do you know how to snake charm? And I wanted the job so badly that I actually said, uh, I, I don't, but I, but I'm Indian, so it's probably <laughs> in my DNA, and I could probably learn really fast. <laughs> just give me a I day, just, because exactly. I really wanted this job. <laughs> And so, you know, that was the experience. And and, and I remember my friend Sakina Jaffrey and I used to have this term uh, that that she actually coined, that then we all started using, uh, which is patanking. Again, I I talk about it in the book where um, this idea that, like, when you go in for these roles, um, we always say to each other, Did they ask you to patank? And patank basically means going patank, 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 (laughs) patank. Which is the sound of the Indian accent. (laughs) <laughs> from the perspective of a non-indian westerner right very so very um so if they asked you to patank then you knew that like that's what it was going to be you know um or did they not ask you to patank you know so i think that you know that was uh the experience for a long time of uh of sort of being an actor in this business being brown um and and i think ultimately for me what it was The turning point came for me when I wrote my one-man show, Sakina's Restaurant, which, where I decided to write characters who felt more nuanced and, um, you know, uh, complex and true, uh, from the South Asian background, from a uh, Muslim Indian, you know, whatever background that I came from, that was specific to me and and the people I knew and grew up with. Um, and so I started writing those characters, and then that sort of changed the the nature of my career after that somewhat
1: did did you um like it, right, right, like initially did you uh gravitate to comedy almost sort of like right off the bat or did you you know i
3: never i never you know i 've never thought of myself as a comedian i 've always thought of myself as an actor who does comedy mm. uh, you know, but I also do drama. So, uh, you know, I, I that that whole comedy drama thing has never... Like, you know, when you go to acting school or you get a right. degree in theater, nobody's saying to you, are you a comedian or are you a dramatic? You know, sometimes... I mean, yes, there are comedians who got... But I feel like for me, like, it was just all, you know, the same thing. Like, it's always been the same thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, like you mentioned Sakina's Restaurant. I mean, uh, and then I, just thinking of some of your more dramatic performances, although there's a lot of comedy in it. I was thinking of, like, Today's Special, which I, I just yeah. love that movie. I love that movie. And and I think that a lot of what we are talking about, probably what you talk about in the book as well, is sort of, you know, it, it is beautifully expressed in that movie. Uh,
3: thank you, yes. Uh, the movie mm-hmm. Today's Special, yeah. uh, which was inspired by Sakina's Restaurant, the play that ah, I remember. okay, um, You know, that movie really uh, is about the, the South Asian immigrant struggle as it existed in me. And, and you know, we, we sort of told the story in the context of an Indian restaurant and about this family that owns an Indian restaurant in Jackson Heights, yeah. and in, in Jackson Heights, Queens. And, and we sort of told it in the context of like, oh, it's a romantic comedy because, you know, we have to, you have to sell it to the marketplace, right? Um, and but the, the, what that movie for me is really about is about the integration of the false self and the authentic self to some degree, as much as you can uh, and that and, 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 and you know and that, and that could mean false self authentic self it could also mean like old your your ethnic roots versus like your more um, you know western upbringing or you know it 's about a man who basically is trying to be a French chef mm-hmm. um, and wants to be a French chef he 's an Indian guy who wants to be a French chef who ends up having to take over his father's Indian restaurant when his father has a heart attack right. and learns about his own food by way of having to navigate back into his own culture that he has rejected. So the movie is really about the integration of those two parts of this man in order for him to become a whole person, you know? Um, and and so uh, that is a metaphor for what has happened to me and continues to happen to me and, and I think for a lot of Uh, for the immigrant story in many ways you know right and
1: and i think for a lot of the like uh like listeners who may not be familiar with uh with some of the actors in the movie, I mean, you have some real actors, actors from, you know, from Bollywood, right? I mean, these- well, I
3: mean, we got, we were, we were very happy to get, uh, the great Nasruddin Shah That's right. to, uh, to play one of the, uh, you know, I mean, he steals the movie. I mean, I'm the, I'm the lead, but he steals the movie from me, you know? Um, and he's, he's brilliant in the, in the role of Akbar, the, the Indian chef who basically comes in and teaches me about, you know, life and spice and cooking. and you know, um, and then we got Madhu Jafri, of course, who everybody uh, is familiar with and is also a terrific actress as well as being sort of a cookbook impresario. And, uh, Harish Patel, um, who's
1: He, he plays your father, right? He
3: plays my father. He's a terrific Bollywood actor. Yeah, um, huge.
1: I mean, like, big, televisions or big television, sort of dramatic.
3: Television guy, yes. So, you know, we got the- we got- and then we've got people like, uh, uh, Dean Winters and Jess Weixler, who is a terrific actress, and, uh, Ajay Naidu, who people know, and you know, and, and just, uh, we got- we had a great, um, ensemble, uh, cast of really terrific actors.
1: So it's funny, you know. Like I know you're you're born in Bombay or Mumbai. Uh, I actually lived lived there about two and a half years. Uh, mm-hmm. I was born in the States, but we moved back for a little bit. Yeah. And uh, funny story, sort of intersection again. Um, and, and when I was in Bombay, I went to school with Nasiruddin Shah's daughter. Yeah. And uh, so, and we would go, and and I was that's kind of where I took up like speech and debate and drama. I was really involved mm-hmm. in those kind of type of activities and. He would kind of coach us. So um,
3: yeah, he's he's. I mean, he has a theater in India as well, the Prithvi Theater. You know, that's right. And his, um, his
1: wife, is a dramatic actress uh, Ratna yeah. yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah, he's a real artist, you know. And yeah. I think that's uh, that was, you know, a why he's so good, and, and b uh, why you know he he did our movie essentially because he really didn't make a lot of money. So it was.
1: just – he loved to do the work. I guess movie. It's on Netflix for those, uh, yeah, who have that. So definitely check it out uh, to the listeners. Um, so so kind of maybe talk us through how you um get involved with the Daily Show.
3: Yeah. Um. Well, the Daily Show is a strange odyssey in my life in the sense that like it was never something I intended to do. I mean, I, I write about this in my book. Um, you know, the, it was the, the weirdest day of my life. I got this call basically saying, you know, um, I think the exact language that was that my manager's assistant used was the daily show is looking for a middle Eastern looking guy. <laughs> and, um, And I thought, wow, this is the most elaborate Homeland Security sting operation I've (laughs) ever heard of. (laughs) Not going to go wrong. The call gets, uh, yeah, it gets deported. (laughs) So I literally, I, and then I said, and I thought, okay, so this is either going to be that or it's going to be like me. Like I'd done like the voice of Saddam Hussein on David Letterman and tech support on Jimmy Kimmel. I thought this is going to be another one of these gigs where I walk around with a fake beard yelling death to America or, you know, sit on a, carpet with a turban pretending to fly or something. And so I said, no. Uh, you know, I basically told the – I think I actually said tell the Daily Show they <laughs> themselves. And I them. and um And they call back because, you know, uh, rejection works. And so they called back. And uh, – they said no. Actually, they're looking for a correspondent. So I was like, okay, fine, you know. And I didn't know how to do this. I didn't know what I was. A fan of The Daily Show. I I watched The Daily Show and uh, John Stewart and all that. So I went down there. I just put on a suit and tie. Went down there and, and basically just did my best Stephen Colbert impression, nice. <laughs> um, which is essentially what we all do on the show anyway. You know, is some version of 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 Stephen Colbert. Um, and Most, so, it's,
2: uh, it's worked out pretty well for him. So
3: yeah, it's great. I mean, you know, and, and because you know, Stephen is the person who sort of invented, is the archetype of that character, that sort of faux journalist, uh, arched kind of ironic uh, tone, you know, um, yeah. and the the type of questioning that he does in terms of those interviews and stuff. So it's all he kind of invented that style. So um, I just did an impression of him. And and happened to get the job and uh, was on the air that night. Wow! Uh, reporting from um, Lebanon, I think. Quote unquote. So uh, yes, quote unquote. It was, a, it was a very very quick flight. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, and and so and 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 that was the moment I think also when I realized that like there was something uh, to be said. Into the zeitgeist about from the I should say from the perspective of someone like me in the sense that uh, and I and I and the book is kind of an extension of this. You know what I mean? The book is an extension of this ongoing uh, dialogue I feel like I've been having with the culture at large uh, on The Daily Show, which is speaking about the culture. Um, from the perspective of being an insider and an outsider at the same time. I mean, when I got on The Daily Show, I was the first non-Caucasian correspondent on that show. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, full-time correspondent, right? right. And so uh, the position that I was able to inhabit was a unique one. And uh, what I've tried to do in the book is, is take that – which was, you know, a perspective that I had speak from on the Daily Show, and use that as a, as as a way to actually talk more in depth about those same issues of identity and dislocation and culture and religion and all that stuff through the in the book, um, you know, from a, a perspective of the same of that kind of humor, uh, that Daily Show esque kind of take, you know, but from a but in a more extended form.
2: Well, and and I mean, when when we think when we when we sort of look at the the chronology here, obviously uh, the, the Daily Show was was a pretty big uh, marker in ter- in your own personal timeline. At at what point? Now, now you started you you were it, it was going to be like a one off or a short term gig, right? You you became a full time correspondent a little while later.
3: Yeah, yeah. Initially, it was just a one time gig, and then and then after about four or five months trial period. Where John just basically kept having me back on the show and doing gigs and doing reports and stuff, I, I, and then at some point in, in uh, the early part of the following year, they offered me a full time contract.
2: So, at you know, and and I, you know, I read this article just last week that that you about you and and, and Dean Dean uh, about uh, how John Stewart made you more uh, Muslimish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. I'd love for you to unpack that a little bit. I mean, talk, talk about uh, that that sort of mini
1: journey there. Right. Dean was just on um, our show like the last episode.
3: Yeah. Oh yeah, he, yeah. He, I think he he told me about that. Yeah. He um he, uh, you know, Dean read the book and 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 really that that article that was um I think it was on CNN.com or something, yeah. um, which basically talks about how Jon Stewart made us both more muslim uh, is taken from the last chapter of my book, which is uh, called The Jihadist of Irony. And um, it is basically uh, me talking about how I feel like I became, the, 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 the Daily Show ended up allowing me to have a voice and to speak into the culture on behalf of American Muslims in a way that I never expected. I mean, when I got on The Daily Show, my father was literally like, how could John Stewart do this? You know, like he had let, he had let my father down in a big way, you know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like he was like, how could John Stewart hire a bloody guy who doesn't know how to say salaam to his parents to <laughs> be his senior bloody Muslim correspondent? And it was, and I said, Dad, you know, look, it's a comedy show. And and he said, I hope it's a bloody comedy show because I can't see this, him, anybody taking you seriously, you know.
1: Right. <laughs>
3: so, he was completely appalled by that whole idea, and uh, as was I, because as I've said many times, I'm not, uh, I'm not the best example of a Muslim, uh, but culturally, yeah, you yeah. come from that space. And so, right. you know, there were a lot of things that, like, that, that I felt like I was able to articulate, and again, I wasn't saying this by myself, it wasn't me writing it, this is why I talk about it in the book, I say, you know, The Daily Show became like my madrasa of comedy, <laughs> uh, run mostly by Ivy League-educated Jews, um, and they helped me construct this character called, who I, that I call the jihadist of irony, who mm. basically was able to, uh, you know, send uh, scud missiles of, uh, of uh, irony and satire into the uh, culture yeah. by way of the Daily Show, you know, and say things that no one else was saying. And so what happened? Uh, when I did that was that you know a i it started making me incredibly uncomfortable because suddenly I was being um, labeled as Muslim in some way, which I had never in my career i didn 't ever say i wasn 't muslim but i 'd never like openly been muslim you know
2: you didn 't lead with
1: that i
3: didn 't lead with it right and now suddenly it was becoming a thing and then and then the other part of it was that I liked it because because the part of me that is muslim ish uh, was getting great satisfaction from being able to speak on behalf of. I don't know if we were making any difference in terms of policy or the war or, you know, any kind of, uh, or in the media at large, but there was a way for me to speak on behalf of American Muslims. And I don't say me alone, like I, you know, like, but like there was a voice there that was missing and we were trying to fill that vacuum in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that was, you know, and also, uh muslim people would come up to me on the streets and hug me and say Aslam alaikum and then they would say would you like to meet my daughter she's very pretty <laughs> you should meet her you know uh so they were trying to get me married off and so um, you know that was so like yeah so it kind of it did sort of change my relationship uh to my own craft and to my own and what i wanted to say in the culture in some way somewhat as well
2: well, and and uh, uh, you, you mentioned in, in the book and, and in the piece about how uh, what it came down to was John Stewart essentially saying, you're, you're all we've got.
3: Yeah, well, now you gave away the ending of the book, dude. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, man, come on. <laughs> There's a twist. <laughs> I, well, I mean, I, you know, I found that... Uh, alert. Uh, no, um, yes, he did say, there was, a, there was a moment in the book, I'm not going to uh, give it away too much, but... Uh, when it was around the Trey Parker, Matt Stone thing, right? When they, South Park portrayed the, supposedly the image of Muhammad in a bear suit, I remember there was a the controversy. Yeah. About it. And there was a controversy around it, and I ended up getting on the air. And uh, and yes, there was an interesting conversation that Jon Stewart and I had around that, which um, which is which was kind of indicative of my. Of of what my position in some way on on the show and and it sort of etherized in that moment everything that was going on and 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 how the Daily Show could speak to the the, the things from the position of having somebody like me a uh, uh, sort of an American Muslim quote unquote on the show you know well I mean it's you know, what what that particular
2: moment I found it incredibly uh, uh in a, in a way poignant and and relatable because I think that's what Many, many American Muslims have experienced in their own lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's that it's you know whether I, I mean you're you're talking about your friends at the Daily Show, but whether you're talking about a law firm or you know an accounting firm, whatever. It's hey Ahmed, you're you're the only guy I know. What's yeah. The deal with ISIS. What's the you know and yeah I mean, the, the, you know that, that sense of uh, the individual suddenly taking ownership of the entirety of the, the Muslim. Experience.
3: Well, that is I mean look that is part of the immigrant sort of narrative, isn't it? That you, when you're a minority, you end up uh, uh, carrying the load on your back for everything that everyone feels about those people, right? Right. In whatever environment you are in. And if you're on television or whatever, it it gets even, you know, uh, it becomes a little bit more acute. Um, Mm -hmm. So that is, yeah, I think that is a relatable experience. And I think that is true, you know, that like, I mean, I heard a statistic yesterday that said, I don't know if this is true but but I can't imagine it not being true that 91% of Americans don't feel like they actually know a Muslim person sure you know and uh and so yes so that one guy you know who is the Muslim guy on the on the floor of your office is the only Muslim guy you may come into contact with you know and so that person does end up representing everything so every time there's something isis does something you know you go over to like you know abdul and and be like how do you feel about that you know what do you think like how do you as if he somehow right has the end like he got them he's like well here's the thing see what that, i'll read from the memo that i got about how to respond to this right. you're forced to like deal with these you know look i, I and, and and i experienced that also Uh, Not just on the Daily Show, but even before, when I was an actor, before 9/11, before when I was a young actor, um, you know, like having to represent being a brown guy or being South Asian uh, in like a a TV commercial or a movie or a thing, and like always having to have ask that question of like, is this derogatory? Is this reductive? Is this something that my uh, that I'm going to feel ashamed of? You know. Uh, of doing even though I have to pay the rent you know so mm-hmm. that conversation and, and, and then it was also like but it was in, in a weird way it's not fair because I'm, I'm just an actor trying to make a living and my Caucasian counterparts never had to deal with that kind of stuff you know they were like yeah sure I'll play whatever and, and for me were, there was always the piece of it an extra piece of like am I culturally how am I repre- representing my culture and my ethnicity and, and and people don't get that. People don't, they, you know, uh, they don't necessarily always understand the the onus that is 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 uh, exists in that regard, you know.
1: That is that's really profound. Yeah, I never have even even thought about that from the point of view of a performer. But um, but I think that you know, just you being like, I mean, you're basically coming into people's living rooms essentially, and just being a Muslim guy, like, without even affirmatively. Talking about your faith or about your experiences, I mean that I think is a huge step in the in terms of the history of Islam in America and, and the Muslim experience in America. So, um, yeah, kudos to you, really. Um, you, know, well, and, and we you. Up, you know, I mean, I
3: mean look, it, it, again, it's it's not something that it, it, it is it is um, it, it, you know, look, it's not something that I went out and was like, oh, I want to yeah. do this. I, it happened. The world happened. Uh, And, and, you know, we all in our own way, I think, are trying to, um, uh, you know, have this conversation about, and this is the larger, you know, this is happening more and more. It's happening more now than it was actually after September 11th, you know, um, that this conversation about what is it uh, to be an American Muslim and, 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 uh, you know, uh, that question of identity, that question of of um you know what is america what is america's identity what is the uh what is the immigrant experience and all that stuff which is something what I, I i try to deal with in the book it's stuff that you know like for example i i like i said i like i've been dealing with on the daily show for a long time and then trying to examine those things in a more uh with with more depth and from a particular perspective of my own using my own life as kind of a template for that the, that examination you know Mm-hmm. Now,
2: now, just in, in terms of some of the, the bits that you've done on the Daily Show, I mean, I'm I'm reminded of when you went to to uh, I think it was Murfreesboro for for the uh, the mosque project and and you, you talked to some people there. I think it was Murfreesboro in in, in Tennessee, um, and there was also the the, the Muslim Batman story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are I mean, what have been sort of Memorable moments within those larger experiences have you been surprised one way or the other either by people 's negativity or, or the positivity I and mean, what, what have you come away with from from those types of experiences
3: um, you know what have, what have I come away with is that uh, there's america is is full of a lot of different kinds of people, some of those people are uh, have very little information and access uh, to real information about, for example, in, in this particular case, Islam. You know, but it could. But, but you know, people. Say, I mean, look. The, the short answer is, um, <laughs> people say some crazy shit, you know, and 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 and, and think some crazy shit. Um, yeah. But the reality is, they think it. They do really believe it, and. You know, there's a lot of propaganda out there. There's a lot of misinter- misrepresentation. There's a lot of misinformation out there. And, you know, when, when when I went to, like, Murfreesboro, Tennessee and talked to that woman and she said to me, you know, it was she was protesting the building of a mosque down in Murfreesboro. And she said um, one in five Muslims are terrorists, you know, and she got these statistics off the Internet somewhere. Right. And I did the, and she said to me, do the math. So I did the math because I'm Indian and I can do math. <laughs> I love you know? it. Um, and so she said, uh, oh, you know, I said, one in five Muslim terrorists. And, and I said, oh, that makes about, you know, 300 million terrorists. And, uh, and she said, and she sort of looked at me kind of quizzically. And then I said, I can't understand what is taking us so long then in that <laughs> case, you know, <laughs> if we have an army of 300 million, you know. <laughs> um, so, so great, yeah. the absurdity of that kind of, of thinking, yeah. um, and again, you know, it, it, people, again, the, the, the statistic of 91% of people, Americans don't know a Muslim person is, is astounding and, and, uh, and, and, and furthers that, um, that kind of thinking, you know? Do, do you feel
2: like, I mean, like this woman in particular, do you feel like you made a dent, or was she just so sort of indentured in her cognitive dissonance that uh, it just kind of whizzed right by? Um,
3: I don't think I made any dent at all. I think I think that uh, she was surprised when the piece aired that mm. she was getting hate mail, not from Muslims, but from, like, America, like regular Americans, like not not the Muslims, not regular Americans, but this, like right. non muslims basically yeah. um, she was getting uh, hate mail from from people she identified with and uh, and then she couldn 't understand why that was happening, so you know that was probably her wake up call if there was one at all.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. When you talk about cognitive dissonance. I mean, that's gotta, kind of, yeah, that's definitely gotta be it. You know, when you're getting, you know, that kind of hate mail from people yeah. that, that yeah. are
2: part of your click right. right. group. yeah. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it's uh, obviously the uh, in in the last month there was a, a lot of controversy about uh, uh, when when Bill Maher has sort of been, been going after uh, Islam. in, in, in that some people feel is, is a little bit excessive. even though He's a, he's no fan of religion in general. Um, do you feel do you feel any pressure where that sense of like how how far can you go in in pushing the humor aspect? Do you, do you worry about offending uh, uh, Muslims, for example, by by virtue of
3: incorporating uh, comedy and things like that? Um. I don't really worry about you know that's not that's not a um, I think I think if you're going to say anything you can't oh you can't really worry about that you've got to, you you know as an as an artist as a writer um, as a performer you know you have to you have to sort of speak whatever is your truth you know mm-hmm. um, I've been involved in different projects where you know. Muslims and non Muslims alike have been offended, uh, or felt like I wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't uh, somehow addressing their particular agenda of the way they saw the world, you know? Um, and, uh, listen, that is, that is just the reality of, of being an artist, being a, you know, a writer. So I think you have to, Speak from your own experience and your own truth, and 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 examine your own self. And in that examination, hopefully, there is uh, an examination that happens out there in the the to the reader or to the viewer. You know.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, you know, and, and we've had you know artists of different like we've had screenwriters and stuff in the past, and you know, and we've made this comment where our art's messy. You know, I mean, you know, you're always going to run the risk of you know quote unquote offending you know whether it's the establishment or or or, or 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 orthodoxy or whatever may be the case you know but that's been sort of historically the case throughout muslim history i would even argue where art's been messy and arts but our art has taken that responsibility of sort of pushing the envelope you know
2: well and and i think that that provides a very very apt segue into talking about about no lands man i mean this yeah. uh it's it, so it's it's a collection of essays that that represent your narrative in your words uh I t- talk about how how we how how this came about. What what was the the impetus behind it?
3: Um, you know, I had been writing a lot of. Uh, I mean, I wrote a one man show years ago, and I was writing monologues and stuff to to put together a new show possibly. And uh, somebody approached me and said, "Hey, would you be interested in writing a book?" And I'd never done a book before, and I thought I could take these stories and um, turn them into more narrative forms. And what I've what I what I've tried to do in the book is. Um, is in some ways as an extension of what i' like i say what i 've been doing on the daily Show, which is that like to take these ideas of 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 um, being an insider and an outsider and commenting on the experience of um what it is to be an immigrant hmm. what it is uh, the issues of identity of race of dislocation of of religious identity mm-hmm. culturally and by virtue of faith or lack of faith thereof um and and sort of examine those things in a larger in a in a more uh in a longer format than like you know 15 seconds on the daily show right so you know to, and using my life as a template to examine these themes and using narratives from my life which i have exaggerated in some cases or you know or or like uh tweaked in some ways in order to like talk about something larger that resonates in the culture, and also, look, I'm I'm, a, I'm very fortunate in the sense that like I uh, dealt with the racism and the bigotry and uh, stuff that I dealt with to the degree that I dealt with it, and um, have actually managed to be relatively successful in the culture. And okay. there is a story about how about navigating through that, because ultimately, you know, in the book, I talk about how You know, I was a kid who uh, was dealing with this kind of racism and bullying. I was a kid in in England and, you know, in boarding school, in a British boarding school, which is, like, you know, the worst place you can be. Um, And then then using, like, you know, even pop culture icons like Michael Jackson. Uh, You know, I was a Michael Jackson impersonator in high school, and there's a funny story in the book about how I sort of was invisible when I got to America. When I got to America, like, you know, it was like you were either black or you were white, right? So... Mm. or Hispanic. But if you were anything else, this was pre-9-11. This was, you know, like Tampa, Florida was a city with one Indian restaurant. And wow. so, like, you were just basically invisible. And, right. Uh, you know, I think I... I nobody... And so I, I became a Michael Jackson impersonator because... Partly because at that time, both Michael Jackson and I, at 18 years old, looked like an Indian girl. So, <laughs> therefore... <laughs> <laughs> it felt like like I could, you know, sort of, if I could dance like him and sort of sing like him a little bit, I could mimic that. I could, And so I, I used it as a way to get up on stage and perform and, and become a, a, a point of like, oh, you know, and I tell the story in the book about like how I use that as a way to find some kind of recognition, to be, to stop, to not be invisible and playing with this idea of race mm-hmm. in my own life in the same way that Michael Jackson was playing with it in the culture on a much larger scale, you know um uh and so uh you know that was um a re- uh, you know a real inflection point for me in 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 terms of my own um journey of like of like realizing um how to speak into the culture at large about uh, these these narratives about being an immigrant and I, and like I said I've been successful in the sense that like I was able to navigate that in some ways uh, and, and find a place, uh, 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 you know. I, I, you know, as an actor, you never feel like you're y- you've made it or whatever, you know. But um, but, but I'm much I, I'm much more successful that in this business than I thought I would be, and and that I think um, is uh, partly because of somehow how I absorbed the uh, the stuff that I dealt with uh, and what I did with it. Um, in, in, in transforming that into something, into art, into creativity, into, uh, performance, into, uh, speaking into the, the culture for, by virtue of the Daily Show. Um, and so, you know, that stuff, I think is really, for me, what the book is about, is about sort of my examination of that immigrant story, you know?
1: Mhm and and so much of what you what you do talk about I mean resonates even for like like someone like myself who's like the like the, a, a child of immigrants you know yeah, growing right. you know, up in America even though you know born here but never really fully You know, you know, feeling a sense of belonging, and but then going back to India and feeling like you're a stranger there too. So really,
3: well, that's that, and exactly, hence the title, No Land. I was going to say. So it's like, I mean, it literally like there's that sense of like not belonging anywhere and yet belonging everywhere, you know?
1: Right. Right. Um, Sense of dislocation is, I think, something that is a shared experience to not only immigrants, but you know, first and maybe even second generation immigrants, you know, children. Yeah.
3: I mean, I always have had that experience, you know, uh, of like, of like going to India and realizing how Western I am. That's right. And, yeah. and, and living in America or, 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 or even when I was a kid in Europe, but, but realizing how not American I am in some ways, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, I've, and I've, and I've spent, you know, I've been here since the early eighties or whatever, but, and, and I enjoy, Many things that are american and 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 have absorbed a great deal of american culture uh but there's but but I think because of my childhood, because of growing up in the u k because of coming from a immigrant home um with a different language and culture and religion than say the friends that I went to high school with mm-hmm. you know the white kids I went to high school with specifically um, there was always a sense of of being one step removed from the culture in some way, and trying to find and navigate a um, an identity against that. You know.
1: I think another layer of uniqueness that you bring, or, or your voice, you know, brings is that, you know, again, people, you know, we talk about monoliths, but we, you know, when, when we talk about the West or the Western experiences of the Muslim diaspora that's not a monolithic experience whatsoever europe is very different than america yeah. england yeah. is very different than america in this case
3: yeah i mean n- nothing is a monolith right like i mean even the western idea the, even the western experience is not a monolith you know like like the idea of like england is a very different culture and has a different relationship to muslims and to south Asians and to india in particular yeah. than america does and uh Americans have a very different relationship, you know uh here like for a long time, everyone thought I was Mexican when I first got to school you know right yeah. and so you know um I think that there's a definitely a um uh, yeah none of this you know i I hope that through specificity however. Of you know the only thing as an artist you can do or as a writer or whatever you can do is like you can speak about the specifics, yeah, use those specifics as a template to talk about larger things and 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 uh, you know and, and and I've attempted to do that in the book um where you know i'm just taking my own using my own life specifically in terms of like, oh, these are the things that happened to me. Like I was a Michael Jackson impersonator in high school. I, my father came to America because he heard about brunch and like, you know, was yeah. like obsessed with this idea of like, there was, you know, like my dad really did. He thought, oh, there's this third meal in America. Called- what a concept. <laughs> came here and I think somebody took him to have brunch. And he was like, that is, a- in America, they have so much food. That day, between breakfast and lunch, they have to stop and eat again it 's called lunch thought <laughs> there was a third meal which was seven ninety five all you can eat and so you know but that story is really about like this idea of a man who has been deprived of something his entire life and then comes to America. but then again, it twists it turns on itself because it 's a story also about like excess and consumerism you know yeah. um which which uh Is again another another particular experience of of uh, not only my family but like but in terms of the of the narrative of America, you know. That's
1: right. And being in a position to critique some of that because you your experiences are so unique.
3: Yeah. Well, that's I mean, you know, that's where I I think the Daily Show has helped me. I think the Daily Show, being on the Daily Show for eight years, yeah, uh, allowed me to find a voice that was able to critique the culture from a place of um of affection in a way yes. you know yeah. i i love america like i think America's great i also think america is <laughs> up you know um so uh you know it, it's kind of that thing right well, and, and, if, and
2: if, the idea that those two thoughts are not mutually exclusive
3: exactly and that those and, and you know and for a long time i think american muslims especially after nine eleven, were not allowed to have those two thoughts so, right, right. They we're not allowed and I talk about this in my book as well, which is this idea that the American Muslims were not allowed to be patriotic and critical of America at the same time.
1: So true. Um, like, and, and, and feel that that being critical is, you know, is quintessentially American, right?
3: Yeah, I mean, there is there exactly. And so I think, you know, when, when I my work on the Daily Show like led me in some way as a natural evolution into this book, which mm-hmm. was that this book is really. For the first time, much more than anything else i 've ever written, a real examination of the America of my American identity you know and what it is to be an American and what it is to be a South Asian American to be an American Muslim to be you know um, to, to be to have a complicated relationship with one 's own faith within a culture um, of, uh, that, that you know has its own complicated relationship with the faith that you have a complicated relationship with, you know. So all of that stuff that I've been sort of, kind of, d- d- touching on through the Daily Show work, it- it then gets. Ex- I felt like I, uh, you know, tried to examine that stuff in this book on a larger, more uh, g- comedic but also m- more resonant level, you know.
1: hmm mm-hmm.
3: Yeah,
2: and and the idea of like you referred to in 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 those specificities, sort of achieving a
1: universality
3: in a way. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I
1: just on a personal level, I mean, it, for me, the Daily Show has, you know, like what I was talking about earlier, feeling comfortable with being American and at the same time being critical of some of America's excesses, whether it's here or abroad. I mean, the Daily Show has been a big part of that. And, you know, you know I think that just having you on the show is it's been such an honor. It, it really has.
2: Um, Asif, I was wondering if you could uh, discuss. Uh, uh, you had uh, uh, talked about uh, continuing the the Quasby show as as a web yes. series. Yes. Um, so has have recent events changed how you would tackle that particular project?
3: Are you talking about the uh, the recent events of, of Bill Cosby?
2: Yeah, I should say the the recent news because the events themselves are not exactly
3: recent. Right. Right. The recent news around Bill Cosby. So yes, I mean, I think look the the show. Or oh, the web series, I should say, uh, the Cosby Show, you know, Q U apostrophe S B Y, which is a parody of like sort of 80s American sitcom. You know, yeah. what we've done is, for people who don't know, we we did this thing on the Daily Show, uh, which was basically taken from something Katie Couric said, which she said, you know, maybe American Muslims need their own Cosby Show in order to. Uh, alleviate some of the bigotry and hatred towards Muslims in the way that the Cosby Show did for African Americans in the 80s, right? Um, we took that notion and took it to its absurd level of like actually creating this all American family that is, uh, and, and the joke was that they're called the Q U apostrophe OSBY Show, Cosby Show, right? Um, and, and, um, so we are, we are launching that early next year. Uh, we have an Indiegogo campaign that's going on right now. We, we, you know, there is talk, we, we may do a rebranding of it a little bit just because of recent news. Um, However, uh, we are still going to put it up and it's still going to go out. And, uh, you know, we are are not... uh, The show is not about Bill Cosby. It is about uh, fighting uh, Islamophobia and addressing Muslim bigotry. And it's using uh, the parody of an 80s sitcom. So it's as much parodying family ties or growing pains as as it is the Cosby show, you know? Mm -hmm.
1: The, the um, colorful because, sweaters, notwithstanding, yeah.
3: Right, exactly. <laughs> so again, it was the 80s, you know what I mean? So,
1: That's right.
3: kind of that iconic American sitcom, but this time with a Muslim family, and the joke is that they are the most non-Muslim Muslim family in America, and and uh, you know, but it addresses a lot of the issues in terms of. Uh, you know, profiling and uh, NYPD surveillance, and you know, various other things that Muslim Muslim communities deal with in America. All, all that good stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, yeah. But, but done in a very funny uh, sitcom parody uh, that we that we, you know, we've got terrific actors like Sakina Jaffrey from House of Cards. I was to
1: say, yeah, the very talented Sakina Jaffrey. Very She
3: plays uh, my sorry. wife. On the show, we've got guest appearances by Samantha B. and uh, Jordan Klepper, and um, and even um, uh, the Roots. So you know, it's it, we've got all kinds of uh, great stuff in there.
2: Well, I mean, uh, uh, just as as we sort of wrap things up, uh, uh, the, the the book is out now.
3: The book is out now. It's
2: called No Lands Man. No Lands Man. I, I have it. I'm listening to the audio book on my, on my iPod. Uh.
3: Oh, thank you. Yes. Uh, yes, you can take me around with you, listen to it on the audiobook. book. Carry, carry you in our pocket. Yeah. Carry me in your pocket. Exactly. Uh, it's available everywhere, like where you know where books are sold, I guess. Right. And, 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 and also. you also
2: have uh, The Brink uh, coming up?
3: The Brink HBO? is coming out next year in June. Uh, a very funny series uh, for HBO. Um, uh, starring Tim Robbins, Jack Black, uh, Pablo Schreiber, uh, myself, John Larroquette, Carla Gugino, other people, a great, great cast. And it's a geopolitical, um, satirical comedy about um, global politics uh, seen through the eyes of three departments of U.S. government, seen through the State Department, the Foreign Service, and the military. But it's uh, kind of a little bit like if uh, Homeland or 24 was a comedy, yeah. This is this is that show,
2: yes. Which Which would Some argue both have yeah. kind of become. <laughs> but
3: may, yeah, you know what? I I, I I'm not going to offend the homeland fans out there, but I, <laughs> you know, there, there may be an argument to be made for that. Uh, but yes, but this is much more um, in the tone of Doctor Strangelove or Mash, where mm-hmm. we're dealing that's with
2: what, real... that my, I, I That's what it seemed like to me when I read about it. Yeah.
3: Yeah. You know, it, it's dealing with real, and, and of course, the first season, uh, the center of, uh, of the story uh, takes place in Pakistan. And uh, so uh, that's where um, it's sort of the epicenter of the, the story happens. Uh, but it's great and uh, great, very funny and uh, a smart show that's going to be on HBO next year
1: i awesome. very excited, um, and then there's also the IndieGoGo camp- campaign that you just mentioned for the Muslim Quazi show.
3: Yes, exactly. So uh, you can go on uh, online and, uh, and and find that and and donate to it. Um, you know, we're trying to we're trying to raise uh, a few dollars there uh, to finish it up, and hopefully that will be out next year. Yeah.
2: Well, great, and and it's it. Uh, we we definitely want to point out that you are talking to us uh, mere hours before the the uh, dinner for ISPU. Yeah. And um, that, that's, of course, an organization that's doing a lot of good work. So um, we, we really appreciate uh, you scheduling us in before uh, before that event as well. Oh, thank you. Thanks a lot. Well, Asif, thank you so much for, for coming on with us. Uh, this was, Thanks, guys. This is a blast for us. So we look forward to, to hearing from you uh, even more as we continue. Thank you. It's been my pleasure.
0: Okay. Well, uh, uh, again, big, big thanks to Asif Manvi and also for, for ISPU for facilitating that conversation, making it happen. Um, uh, Pervez, any, any thoughts on, on anything thus far?
1: No, you know, I think, I think we, uh, we sort of covered it. Uh, again, very grateful to the, uh, to the kind of feedback we got from the last episode. And we welcome your continued correspondence with us, your continuing correspondence with us uh, on this episode and future episodes. Um, where can people find us, Zucky?
0: Well, we got, we have a Facebook page. It is Facebook.com slash diffused congruence. You can also email us, diffuse congruence at gmail.com. Between the two of them, you should be able to hit us up. Also, write us a review on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Let us know how we're doing. And, uh, uh, we we've, we've got some big stuff planned for, for the next year, so with I, I don't want to give away the house yet, but if you've stuck with us this long, uh, I, we're, we're extraordinarily grateful for it and, and we're going to hopefully give you a lot more uh, to listen to the, in the coming year.
1: Yeah, that actually reminded me. You're right. This is going to be our last episode for, this, uh, for, for the 2014 calendar year. It's been a wonderful year. Um, thank you. And uh, we look forward to uh, welcoming the new year with you again uh, in a few short weeks. Um, yep. I also did want to, you, you know, Zucky, You mentioned Facebook, and one of our, uh, I think, continuing, you know, uh, continuing listeners, I should say, uh, good folks who continue to join us. Uh, Reza Hussein always engages us. I think is he a is he a friend of yours? Uh, uh,
0: well, he he's a friend of all of ours, really, because he he he, he spreads the word about the show, and and that's uh, right. And yeah, he's he, he's been he's been uh, a diligent listener from the beginning. Yeah,
1: that's right. So I wanted to give a special shout out to Reza. So thank you, Reza, for engaging us uh, always after every episode and for uh, spreading the news about our show. We really appreciate it.
0: Give yourself a pat on the back.
1: That's right. So until and next time, until next year, uh, that's uh, I'm, I'm, that's signing off from me.
0: Yeah, this is Diffused Congruence. We'll see you next month.